Let them have it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. Draymond Green, cook some eggs. Come on, buddy. Come back to me, please. 877-337-6666 is the number to call. We've discussed uh, a lot of football so far in the first hour coming off the Thursday night game. And you know, just talking about Daniel Jones and the Giants or running back situation in general in the league. Yankees getting set for game two. Finally, what took you so long? Let's get this thing underway already. I'm ready. First pitch, 107. Nestor Cortez, Shane Bieber, Yanks look to put... Their foot on the throat of the Cleveland baseball team. And they'll be likely looking at the Astros, who are now up two games to none in their series over the Mariners. Mariners had a couple opportunities. Damn, you're Don Alvarez. There's a difference between home runs and big home runs. Your Don Alvarez has hit two big, like as big as you get. Home runs. Game winner in game one, the three-run shot off of Robbie Ray. Come back from down two runs with two outs, hit the three-run homer to give your team the win. And then again, down by a run, a two-run shot off of Luis Castillo. And that one might have ended the Seattle Mariners' season, in essence. Two games and on lead, going to Seattle for the first playoff game there in forever. But anyway, Yankees have their own business to take care of. And they got to go up 2-0 on Cleveland. And if Cleveland's going to make this a series, they have to get this game. Simple as that. Not only the obvious because, oh, well, they can't go down 0-2. Obviously, they can't go down 0-2, even if they are returning home. But more importantly, because their best pitcher is on the mound. That's the issue. Bieber's on the mound. They have to. If you're going to beat a team that's better than you, you have to win with your ace. Their ace is on the mound today. Now, it's not going to be easy going against Nasty Nestor, who a lot of people look at as the Yankees' ace. But if Cleveland's going to make this a series, they have to win today. Josh is calling from Rockland County. What's up, Josh? Yeah, what's up, Sal? I'm ready for the Houston Astros. Bring them on. The Ooh, win will be so sweet. baby! Yeah, I like it, Josh. Let's go. Get us to the Yankees there and Astros. Go. Let's go, Yankees, yes. Um, what do you think Nasty Nestor does tomorrow? Six, seven scoreless innings? Uh, I'll go six innings, one run. Similar to Cole. Yeah. What did Cole go? Six and a third, one run. I'm going to go six innings for Nestor. Uh, you know what? Maybe he goes a little more. I'll go six and two-thirds for Nestor. And and Boone lets him get out of there with a big standing ovation. Six and two-thirds. Uh, do I want to go one run or scoreless? He might go scoreless. I mean, I don't know. I don't like Cleveland's lineup. The only real hitter in there is uh, Ramirez. Ramirez. Yeah. I don't, he, may, he may be able to neutralize him. I'm going to go Cortez. How about this? I'm just going to go flat out six scoreless. Let's not get cute. Six scoreless for Nestor Cortez. That's what I'm going about. There we go. Um, also, it's, it makes it very hard for the Yankee bullpen uh, because they have no days off now, so they can't just roll up Peralta or Holmes and Wiseka. Well, with the no days off, that is going to hurt them, but the good thing is the Yankees are deep in their bullpen. Their issue is not depth. Their issue, Josh, and thank you for the call, their issue is that they don't have a specific role for one of those guys to be the closer, where you have Cleveland, who has Class A, and he's one of the best closers in Major League Baseball. That would hurt Cleveland as well because 
in the event that they actually have a lead late in these games. Now, you're going to be able to use them two games in a row. I don't know if you'll be able to use them three games in a row. But, I mean, we'll see. It's a postseason. But the Yanks have a bunch of different guys who can do different things. And because they have some depth, obviously it's not the, you know as loaded as you would want with the bullpen. That was the weak link. I'm not sure, though, having no days off in between hurts them that much. But we'll see how that plays out. The stupid rain a factor. I mean, it's just it's just annoying. It's annoying that they had the day off anyway. And now it's two days off in a row. Every, the good thing is everybody should be refreshed and ready to go. And you would expect that at the very least. Hey, look, there may not be a game four. And you could expect the very least that they could use anybody that they want whenever they want in games two and games three. And if you get Cortez to go six, I mean, now you're already limiting the usage from that bullpen. The only way that one of these teams gets hurt by this consecutive days with games or consecutive games in consecutive days, whatever, is if one of the starters can't go deep. If Cortez, for whatever reason, doesn't have it and gets bounced in the second or third inning, then maybe the Yanks would be in trouble. If Bieber you know, pulls a Verlander and the Yanks beat him up a little bit, then the Cleveland pen is going to be taxed. They they'd be I mean they'd be done if that happened. Edward is calling from Tom's River. What's up, Edward? Hey, what's going on? How, How are, are you? you? How's your night going? How are you, Edward? I'm doing great. Quick question. I had a debate with my friends. I want to take your you know, I want to get your take on it. Um so we're talking about the Jets and if you look up and down the roster, so obviously there's some big, you know, additions, but but what's funny this year is that a lot of the players that were on the roster last year just feel like they have more juice um, this year. And our question was, which player do you think literally felt like it was the most important player that was like igniting like the rest of the team almost? And my pick was Sauce Gardner. What's your take on that? Well, what do you mean by that? Not who's the most important player on the team. You're just talking about the most energy and is making everybody else better? No, it just kind of felt like he revamped the whole team, meaning a lot of the players that were on the team on the Jets this past year um, are on the team this year. So well, but they have, a lot like, of, they have a lot of rookies who are having an impact as well. So, I mean, it's hard to, you know, Brees Hall so had a true. hell of a game. Garrett Wilson has been an absolute stud for the Jets. So and I know the defense. I'm oh, sorry, just the defense. I'm on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of the players weren't new, right? John Franklin Myers mm-hmm. was there, um, you know, Quinn and Williams, all these guys. But somehow this year it feels like it came together. Now they did add DJ Reed, and he's been tremendous this year. But somehow Sauce Gardner gives them like a young – I can't explain it. That young. I know where you're going. Yeah, you go yeah, you and you want to think. Although well, maybe Revis didn't have that same personality, but you know, Sauce Gardner is a a. He's got a big personality. He talks a lot, and he's a shutdown corner. And to me, that's very valuable. Now, I would probably pick him, but I don't think it's just him alone. I think it's a couple of different things. Where you look at the Jets, like you said, the addition of Reed. That certainly helps. I mean, the Jets have – they have talent. We were talking about it before the season started. Hey, who, was the, who was the other player, by the way, that you were even debating about, Edward? 
So, so you had like like a guy like Garrett. Um, um, Brees Hall was probably the second. Oh, but you said you said defense though. Like, oh, you were talking about defense. So, no, so so we were talking about like either sides of the ball. So like like Sauce Gardner would be from the defensive side of the ball, and then you know Brees Hall would be probably on the offensive side of the ball, giving that you know that that juice mm-hmm. to the rest of the you know to the rest of the players. I think like, you could oh, make I think you could make a better argument for Garrett Wilson along with Hall instead of somebody else on the defense being as close to Sauce Gardner. You know, DJ Reed, yes, but and like you said, you know, Joyner uh, has been all right for him. You know, the Jets are making plays on that defense there. Um, Quinn and Quinn, Williams. Yeah, Quinn, am, am exactly. Quinn and Williams is like, even like the stat numbers are, are his stats are, are great, but just when you watch the film, it feels like it's just coming together. Like, he he's like... He was scared. Like when he pushed down um um on Tyree Kill like that and he was like, you know, little bro, don't get off the ground. You know, like you you know that clip that went viral? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the and the Jets defense, uh, you know, look, it, they should be and Salo's a defensive head coach, and thank you for the call. I would appreciate checking in. The Jets defense should be I know they're built on offense much better than they have been in a very, very long time, maybe ever, with some of the young talent that they have with Wilson and Hall and Garrett Wilson. I was saying Zach Wilson. But you look at what they have defensively, and Quinn Williams, you mentioned it, an absolute stud. Sauce Gardner, stud. DJ Reed, big year. And Mosley hasn't looked great to me, but still a veteran presence and a leader. Carl Lawson out there. The Jets should have, they have some, they have talent here. I'm just impressed. I mean, the defense, I think, should be better, and maybe it will get better. I'm just impressed with the offense because it feels like I don't remember seeing a, a good offensive Jets team in a very – it has not. It has been a very long time since I could say, wow, I'm excited about Garrett Wilson. Eli Moore was supposed to be a big playmaker, too. He has done nothing this year. But the Jets have been using you know, Brees Hall a lot more. They've been using Garrett Wilson or going to him a lot more. Even Corey Davis more so than Eli Moore. I'm sure eventually Eli Moore will work his way into that offense, but think think about the options that they have. Two solid running backs with Carter and Hall. Hall clearly the more explosive of the two. An absolute stud receiver in Garrett Wilson. A complimentary receiver to him with Eli Moore, who could be that Jamison Crowder type. And, you know, Corey Davis, all right, a nice vet. And Zach Wilson, a quarterback who can make plays both with his arm and his legs. Dakota is calling from Phoenix. What's up, Dakota? Hey, Sal. First time, long time. Uh, glad your internet's working. Well, thank you. Um, was, was originally going to be call in about the the whole quarterback versus halfback, you know, debate, which I totally agree with you. With, but you kind of shook me on the front end about the Seattle Mariners. So I really, my thought now is here that it kind of puts the to sleep all the people that, you know, criticize Brian Cashman for not trading for Luis, Luis Castillo. Well, not necessarily. Um, Why? Why would that? I mean, uh, hey, the Mariners are going to be competitive, but it, it didn't work out. Yeah, but they're not as good as the Yankees. Sure. 
the Mariners, I give the Mariners credit because they went for it, and Castillo got them to the playoffs, and that's what they wanted. I mean, there well, was no. How much, sh- how much did we trade for Luis Castillo? I mean, I was watching that that shortstop out of out of Double A when they traded him, and he was he was up and coming. Who you're a Mariners? Robbie Cano. What are you talking about? You're a Mariners fan. Yeah, of course. Right, so you had a playoff. This is your first playoff appearance since when? They ended the drought. When was the last yeah, time they were 21 in? 21 years. Okay. I was seven years old. <laughs> and, okay, right. And not only that, they actually won a series against the Blue Jays in Toronto. Totally. Okay, so how could you say that that's a failure? Losing to the Astros, and by the way, they haven't but, yet. But the same, the same thing that, that was criticized upon the Mets for not trading him because they don't have that, you know, the farm team to basically trade for mm-hmm. him. Right, and then we went ahead and did that. We went here, play now. Right. And, you know, it, it makes the future a little bit more sketchy. Yeah, but you know what? You have to go for it. And right now you should be living in the present as a Mariners fan. And, by the way, not only did they make the playoffs and ended the drought, not only did they win the wild card series in Toronto and get you to a spot where now you're going to have a little taste of a home playoff game in Seattle in Game 3, but they also had a chance to beat Houston in both these games. Unfortunately, had a devastating loss in Game 1, a crushing but typical playoff loss in Game 2. It happens. I mean, they got beat by the best player Which in the Astro the crushing part because, like, the cheapest ticket in Seattle right now is, like, what, $150 for that, you know, that 2 nothing down playoff game. But you can go to a, the Atlanta game a day ago, $11, two tickets. Probably oh, plus a hot because, because people in Seattle right now are dying to go see their Mariners in the playoffs. It's been, as you said. Which so. is why it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Why? But... Oh, what, to be down 0-2? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, that's life. As I was saying this to Met fans, Dakota, the playoff losses hurt badly, but they're also, it's good pain because it means during the playoffs. Would you rather have happened what happened the last 21 years and the Mariners be irrelevant and not make the postseason? Hey, we're not the Browns. Well, I mean, yeah, nobody is, and it sucks for (laughs) them. But still, I mean, is that what you'd rather have as a fan? Aren't you enjoying this ride? No, no, it, it, most most incredible thing ever. But you know, you don't you don't know how far you have to go even when you get to that that first level because everyone's saying Astros Yankees, which is probably correct. It, it you know more than likely ninety five percent. Well, now especially after the way the Mariners played in those first two games and had those crushing defeats, but I would not. And thank you for the call, Dakota. I appreciate you checking in. I would not. Now I'm not a Mariners fan, but just looking at it from the outside and treating it as if I were a Mariners fan, I would not be worried about the prospects that you gave up to get Castillo. I would have been, at the time, pumped up to get Castillo and be excited about the organization for going all-in and making a bold move like that in hopes of ending the drought, which they did. And then they gave you a little bonus. Not only did they end the drought, they beat Toronto team that was everybody's preseason darlings they crushed them down 8-1 in that game two right was it game two yeah down 8-1 in that game two coming back and winning that game and then you actually had a chance they should have won game one and they had a chance in game two it was a crushing look you got beat by Jordan Alvarez Guy's a stud. He looks like David Ortiz out there. Clutch homers in the postseason. Nothing better than that. There's a difference between home runs and big home runs. Alvarez has hit a couple of big home runs. 
That guy's a stud. Jordan Alvarez. He's been a difference maker for him. I mean, obviously. And it's going to be, let's assume that the Strohs get one more win and close out Seattle. I, I will, even though I'm rooting for the Astros and Yankees, I will root hard for the Mariners to win game three. Just at least give their fans a home playoff win. And look, maybe they could win too. They came close the first two times. Why not? Maybe put a little pressure back on the Astros if that could get to a game five. It's been a good series, though. Two good games. But let's assume that it is the Astros and the Yankees in the ALCS again for a third time since 2017. Alvarez is going to be a problem. Alvarez and Judge. That's fun. All due respect to Seattle, and it is cool to have them in it, and I do love that ballpark, and I'm happy for the fan base. All due respect. It's not the same as it would be if it were the Yankees and the Strohs. Those are the two best teams. That's what everybody wants to see. Everybody who's not a Mariners fan, that's what they want to see. But I think you have to be thrilled about Castillo and that deal from Seattle's perspective. I always respect a team that goes all in. Seattle went all in, and they reaped some of the benefits. Did you expect that they were going to win a World Series? You'll you'll see in Game 3 when that place is rocking. Down 0-2, won't matter. They're just going to be happy to see their boys take the field in the playoffs. 21 years. You think it's bad being a Mets fan? Seattle had a significantly better run than the Mets did. Mets barely even made the playoffs. I don't even feel like they did. I did that Rico Bronia podcast with Evan the other day. And he's like, ah, the Mets didn't even make the playoffs. He's right. I'm with him. I've been to playoff games. At Shea or at City. I know what that feels like. Whatever that was, those three games last weekend, that was not the playoffs. That was an embarrassment. Go for it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. Fan 877-337-6666. Haven't done much Mets. I did uh we did talk some Mets yesterday on Baseball Night New York on SNY, and it's gonna be an intriguing offseason, no question. And I mean, I know the names, the same names keep coming up. DeGrom, does he really want to be here? Are the Mets going to be willing to pay him whatever it is that he wants? Diaz, I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion. Brandon Nimmo, and then it's more than that. Because it's not just about how do they remain the same or bring some of these same guys back. How do they get better? How do the Mets get better? And you could also throw on top of it, should they be looking to lock up Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil the way the Braves have locked up all their young stars? And I'm kind of torn on it. And I also don't know 
if I fully trust Billy Epler to be making these decisions. Now, I don't have a choice. I mean, Billy Epler is going to be making these decisions, and the Mets, you're going to have to hire a team president to replace Sandy Alderson at some point, and it doesn't sound like that's going to be urgent. Right now, they're okay with the way that things are in the organization, and Billy Epler is going to be the main guy here trying to build this team to a level where they won't, I hate even using the word collapse. 2007 was a collapse. This year, I don't know if it was a collapse. It just, I mean, it just, it all just blew up in the span of 10 days. But Billy Apple is going to have to figure out how to balance out what he had, what was real from last year, and what wasn't, or what the issues were, what the weakness was. I think it's easy to sit there and say, yeah, well, they need a DH. Okay, that's obvious, but you can't also expect that everybody's going to come back and produce the same exact way that they did a year ago, and everybody's going to stay healthy the same exact way that they did a year ago. It just doesn't work like that. So who do you lock up long-term? Who do you bring back? Who do you look to go get? What t- what do the Mets need? Last year's Mets needed power. Or, I mean, I guess still this year's Mets, but you see what I'm talking about. The team that just got eliminated, they needed power. Will the Mets moving forward, will, will that be all that they need? I mean, you just don't know the answers to these questions. They may now need more pitching. If Scherzer's not going to be what you thought he could be, if DeGrom's not going to be here, if Bassett's not going to be here, well, then pitching becomes a priority. Are they going to still build a team that is going to be based on pitching? Or are they going to change course and say, you know what, we need to load up on the offense? I don't think you could be too reactionary. I feel like too many times, and we've seen this with the Mets over the years, but we've seen a plenty of teams, they look at, and whatever sport it may be, they look at the season that just culminated and will say, okay, well, we fell short in this department. And let's use this team as an example. Okay, well, we didn't have enough power. We need to really upgrade the DH. And then they upgrade the DH, and then next year they go out there and they have the better DH, and everybody's thinking, all right, well, here we go. Won 101 games last year, new DH, should win 105 or whatever, and win the division and move on. It doesn't work like that. Maybe you have an upgraded DH, but maybe your shortstop gets hurt or a starter gets hurt more than he was last year. Now, the one thing is the Mets, it wasn't like they were completely healthy. They didn't have DeGrom for the first half of the year, as you know. They didn't have Scherzer for the majority of the year, as you know. They didn't have Starling Marte in September. I mean, the Mets weren't, it wasn't like everything broke their way last year. It didn't. And they still won 101 games, which is impressive. When you could do that, remember in years past, I mean, the Mets would have to be near perfect to win 90 games. Everything would have to break their way. A lot didn't break the way of the Mets last year. You want to factor in Dom Smith and J.D. Davis, Robinson Cano, James McCann. I mean, the Mets got nothing from McCann. They got nothing from any of those players that I just mentioned from D.H. I wouldn't say Mark Canna had a great year. DeGrom missed half the season. Scherzer missed plenty of starts. Now, where they were great, Alonzo had a big year. Lindor had a big year. Diaz had a big year. McNeil had a big year. You know, by the way, you could throw an Escobar on the department that didn't work out either. It's amazing that 
The Mets had all these things go wrong or just not work out. You know, look, Escobar struggling the first half of the year, the first five months of the year, hey, it happens. You're not going to hit on every single player. And we all made a big deal about the free agents that the Mets brought in. But when you actually look at it, well, Escobar struggled the majority of the year. Marte was great, probably the best of the bunch as far as on-field production, but even he went down the end of September or, or the month of September. Scherzer was great when he was there in the regular season outside of a couple of starts, and in particular the start in Atlanta. Canna was eh, okay, more so a fourth outfielder. And we praise them for all those moves, but they could have gone a little bit better. And now it's not, you know, now you have to hope that those guys pick it up a little bit and make up for whatever kind of drop-off you have from maybe the other players. It's it's just very odd. It's never, hey, well, this exact thing happened this year, and if it again happens next year, this is what we need to fill in to make us better. But it doesn't work like that. It's going to be something different next year. And they kind of, again, need to just have to build a team. Not that you're starting from scratch, but with the amount of free agents that they have and the key free agents, I do think they're kind of starting from a spot where they need to figure out what their priority is going to be. Because last year, it was blatantly obvious that they were going pitching. I mean, they talked about it. Billy Epler talked about it all the time. Pitching, 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 pitching. Sandy Alderson's belief, and I know Alderson's not going to be here anymore, and I know he wasn't necessarily making those moves, but same thing. They were Those teams were built on pitching. Could never have enough pitching. But there wasn't enough of a balance there. The Mets never added the bats to go with the pitching. And then, of course, the pitching disappointed them anyway, which is a whole nother story. You could talk about having the pitching there, but then you actually have to get production from said pitching, which they did not. Not in the big spots. But let's say you take Bassett off the team. Who's taking his spot? Bassett, Walker, Carrasco, DeGrom. I mean, they could all be gone. You're talking about four of your starters. Peterson, Tyler McGill, those guys are unproven. Although, of the bunch, I would trust David Peterson more so than I would Tyler McGill, even though Tyler McGill was the opening day starter a year ago for the Mets, or this past year for the Mets. He was their opening starter, but I wouldn't trust him just yet. Peterson, I think at least you know what you're getting from him, where he's a guy that you can count on to be a fourth or fifth starter, and be competitive and be solid. I like that from him. But they're going to need, at the very least, the number two behind Max Scherzer. But do they go to the point where they went last year and just try to add as many arms as possible? Do they bring back Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco or Jacob deGrom? Obviously, deGrom, you know, which one of these is not like the other? deGrom is the one that you can't replace. I mean... Even him at this particular stage of his career is not 2018, 2019 Jacob deGrom, which is part of the reason why the Mets are bounced, which is why the Mets didn't win the division. You think about it. It comes down to one game. And I was talking with Terry Collins about this yesterday on Baseball Night in New York, 
where Terry didn't even get into the Atlanta series. He says, look, you go against good teams, you get swept. Sometimes that happens. He was referencing more so the loss to the Marlins or the sweep at the hands of the Cubs or the losing to the Nationals or the Oakland game. Think about that, where if the Mets, and I knew it at the time we said it, they had to go 4-1 and one over that five-game stretch against the A's and against the Marlins. Three in Oakland. I was at one of them. Three in Oakland and then two back at City Field against the Marlins. They had to go 4-1 and one over that stretch. That should not be that tall of an order. And DeGrom got lit up that Saturday in Oakland. I'll never forget it because I was I flew into San Francisco and was going to go to the game that day. I got in late. By the time I you know had the Uber to the hotel, it would have been another hour to the ballpark. And the Mets, were, you know, DeGrom was already getting lit up. I was like, ah, screw this. I'll just go find a bar and watch it. Meanwhile, it took me an hour to find a bar. There was nobody. You, and then you actually walk into a bar, and I'm like, hey, can you put the A's game on? And I'm saying the only reason why I say the A's game is because why? Because I'm in San Francisco. I'm not going to say, can you put the Mets game on? So I walk into a bar, a sports bar, mind you, with about 50 TVs. Not one of them has the A's and Mets on. So I asked the guy behind the bar, hey, can you uh, can you put on the A's game when you get a chance? He's like, what? The what game? I said the A's. You know, the team that plays right over there. Now, I'm in San Francisco, of course, but, I mean, uh, come on. I, I could have thrown a beer glass and hit o- the Oakland Coliseum, and this guy, he's looking at me like I, like, like, I mean, I, I asked him to put on some foreign, you know, cricket match or something. I'm like, the A's, you know? He's like, oh, the A's. What do you mean? Nobody cares about the A's around here. I go, dude, I got news for you. I don't care about the A's either. I want to watch the Mets, the team that they're playing. Can you put it on? Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, no problem. Just tell me which TV you want it to be on. So I go look at the number of the TV. It was like number 18 or something like that. Yeah, TV 18. He's like, all right, no problem. Then I go sit down, and I'm waiting for service, and I'm waiting for the TV to be changed. And the guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, do you know what channel they're on? I'm like, huh? Do I know what channel the A's play on? No, as a matter of fact, I don't. I mean, is this that difficult for you? Is this not a sports bar? I mean, what what is happening here? So, needless to say, the game was never put on. Uh, nobody ever came, and I just walked out. I was like, this is ridiculous. I was then watching the game on my phone, on the SNY app. Download it now for free. Anyway, that Saturday, and I was just so miserable, and then I became hungry. I don't know where I'm going. I'm walking around. I'm looking for a place to eat, looking for a place to watch the game. Mets lose that game. They get smoked. I couldn't find somewhere to eat for another hour. It was it's just ridiculous. But that game will always stick with me, not only because of that experience, but because the Mets really needed to sweep that series. And it got to a point where taking two out of three was not good enough. The night before, the Mets had just gone up two and a half games over the Braves. Had they won that game against the A's, that might have cemented, the essentially cemented the NL East right then and there. Because then Atlanta feels like, yeah, we're two and a half back. The game, The number of games is dwindling. They would have had to go into the series knowing that they had to sweep the Mets just to have a chance. And even then, it might not have happened. 
even if they swept the Mets and the Mets just had to win two of three or sweep the Nats, whatever it may be. Anyway, they needed to make, the Mets did, that two-and-a-half game lead stick, and they couldn't. And they lost that game with DeGrom on the mound. And then after Scherzer shut him down Sunday, and I was there on uh, for that one, and you're feeling good about yourself again, the Mets come home only to disappoint against the Marlins. So one of those games, either that Saturday in Oakland or that Tuesday at home against Miami, that to me was the difference. Not even the Cubs series, not the series against the Nationals to start the year. That was the difference in the Mets winning the division or not. Obviously, you look at Atlanta, they didn't deserve to win the division anyway after they got swept in Atlanta. But had they just won one of those games and went 4-1 and one over the course of those five-game the the five game span with three with Oakland and two with the Marlins would have been a different story. It wasn't. They lost. They they got swept in Oakland. Excuse me. They got swept in Atlanta, and then they lose in the wild card round. And it doesn't even feel like they made the postseason. And now they have to live with an off season off of that extreme disappointment and try to figure out what they are and who they're going to be or what they want to be next year. Now I trust Buck. And I would assume Epler is going to take his feedback on what he thinks they need, who they should keep, who they shouldn't, whatever. But they have some, I mean, these are enormous decisions. It is rare that you see a team with the list of free agents that the Mets will have. Basically, the entire bullpen. And then what? Four of the five Mainstays in that starting rotation, DeGrom, Bassett, Walker, and Carrasco, four-fifths of the rotation and essentially the entire bullpen. That's crazy. And, by the way, their center fielder. I still myself am unsure of how I would prioritize it. The way that I was saying it is that I would talk with Jacob DeGrom because I don't know where his mind's at. And the first thing that I would do is sit with him and say, look, Jake, we want to make you a priority bringing you back. Where are you at? Where's your mind frame? Would you want to be here? Do you, are you looking for what? The, how many years are you looking to sign for? Uh, obviously, you know, the money per year is going to be 40, maybe north of 40 million per year, but whatever. I would need to sit with him and get a feel. And then off of that conversation, then I can figure out how I want to go about the rest of my offseason. Because if it's not DeGrom, I'm not going nuts about bringing Bassett back. I'm not going nuts about Carrasco or Walker. I want to figure out if I can bring the best back. And by the way, let's just say DeGrom says, yes, I am open to being here, but I want to get paid. And I want, you know, three years, $50 million a year, whatever it may be. Are you comfortable with the Mets investing $90 million in two pitchers that are past their prime? I'm not, which is why it brings me back to my original point. I'd rather just go all in. You know, I'm tired of watching the Mets build a team around pitching and continue to disappoint, whether it's injuries, whether it's poor performance in the biggest spots. It's been nothing but disappointment. Yes, it helped get them to the World Series in 2015, but it wasn't enough then, and it hasn't been enough since. And they missed an opportunity in 18 and 19 to make the postseason with the best pitcher in baseball on their team where it could have been a huge difference. DeGrom in 18 and 19, he was so good that they could have won a World Series had they made the playoffs with him, even though the team wasn't very good. Obviously not good enough to even make the playoffs, but 
they had a shot had they built a real team. They didn't. And now that they make the postseason, DeGrom's not what he once was, and Max Scherzer is getting older. I I think it's time to go back to the way that they built the team in 2006. Load up the bats. Your official station to talk Yankees. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. This Friday morning, 877-337-6666. It is going to be a fun football Sunday. Not just with the locals, but usually you look over the weekly schedule and, I don't know, I feel like at least this year, probably every year, but this year in particular, excuse me, I was just having those peanuts again. You know how I do in the morning. need those energy. I need my little burst of energy with the peanuts. Well, it's probably the worst thing to eat, you know, salt and all that stuff, and I can't chew it, Now I'm not going to be able to talk. Anyway, usually I look over the full week, and I always in my own mind feel like, oh, yeah, I can't wait, week five, week six, whatever week it may be. And then I look at the slate, and I'm like, oh, well, these games suck. But this week was one where I was actually pleasantly surprised. And you have a lot. Of well, maybe not a lot, but there's some big games on the slate for Week Six. And you just got the one of the worst ones out of the way with Washington and Chicago. We know the Jets have a big game in Green Bay that helps. The Giants have a big game at home against the Ravens that also helps. Think about that. Where two of the better matchups or more intriguing games are with our own teams in New York, but around the league and look even. A matchup like San Francisco and Atlanta, that now doesn't mean anything long-term, although I do think San Francisco can be a Super Bowl team out of the NFC. And Atlanta has played extremely well. And you could argue, well, not you can't argue, they, they should have had an opportunity to win that game last week if not for the hideous roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett. But you look at that matchup, all right, not bad. I would consider it one of the worst, one of the lesser matchups this weekend, but still not bad. Patriots at the Browns. New England is fascinating just because of Bill Belichick. I mean, what they've been able to do with a third-string quarterback, it's remarkable. I, I love Belichick for that. And them going to Cleveland, again, not one of the premier matchups this week, but there's at least still some intrigue there. Colts and the Jaguars. Now, the AFC South may be the least appealing division to me of all, but... That one has some meaning. Colts need a win desperately. Jacksonville got them the first time that they played. Indianapolis has been awful so far, and they're 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. So as bad as they've been, everything's still right there in front of them. This is an enormous game. Matter of fact, I may bet that one. I'm going Colts. I got to go down with my boy, Matty Ice. If they go down, I go down. Minnesota, Miami, eh. I'm not intrigued at that one at all. 
I mean, it's an odd matchup, especially with Miami with without Tua. So I think that loses a lot there. Cincinnati going to New Orleans. All right. Mildly intriguing. You got, I don't these, this is a stupid schedule. I'm looking at this ESPN schedule. It's stupid. It doesn't have a lineup or the records next to each team. Uh, Tampa, Pittsburgh, no thank you. Carolina, Los Angeles, no thank you, although the Rams need that. Uh, Arizona, Seattle, eh. Can Geno, is this finally the week where Geno reverts back into, um, you know, being Geno? Or will Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals get fired? There's at least some intrigue there. And then the big boys. So that's not, you know, outside of the New York ones, not great. But still, I gave you the two New York teams, and there's a couple of other intriguing matchups. Talking about four or five games in the 1 and 4 o'clock windows. But then 425, Bills, Chiefs. Yes, please. Now, I will tell you that normally I am not locked into the 4 o'clock game unless it's the Jets or Giants. But this week... My wife may have to wait to watch House of Dragon or whatever reality show because you can't miss the Bills Chiefs. That is as must must watch a four o'clock game as there will be. I mean, that should be a primetime game. And then a game I'm even more intrigued by because of the NFC East and the implications there. Cowboys and the Eagles. Yes, we get two. This is almost. No joke, this is like playoff stuff. Bills and Chiefs and then Cowboys and Eagles. I know it's only week six, but those are two playoff-type games back-to-back this Sunday. So you're going to have, and forget about even the other 1 o'clock games, you have Jets at Packers, Giants hosting the Ravens, both at 1 o'clock, if if you don't care about anything else other than the, the New York teams. Then 4 o'clock, Bills, Chiefs, and then 8 o'clock, Cowboys, Eagles. That is a football Sunday. 877-337-6666. Good to see the phones are finally working. Bill is calling from Staten Island. What's up, Bill? Hey, what's up, Sal? How are you? How are you, Bill? Good, thanks. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with the Mets. they got to build up this uh, the lineup over the pitching. I mean, I'd like to sign DeGrom back, but uh, to me, you got to have Alvarez as the catcher. Uh, I like to see Bailey play third. I, I can't have uh, Escobar, you know, hitting one month out of the season. And I, I'd love to see them get Trey Turner and possibly put him at second. Put McNeil in left. Maybe re-sign Nemo. If not, try to get another center fielder. But, All right, so you're uh, spending – you would be spending the big money on Trey Turner as far as the offense goes, right? Yeah. And then what about the pitching? Well – you know, you have to. I don't know. Well, would you, you know, bring? They're in a tough. They're in a tough spot. Would so you bring Degrom back? Look at it. They're in some spot. Would so, you? Br- would you bring Degrom back, Bill? I yeah, I would like to. Yes. If not, I'd like to bring Bassett and uh, Ty. I like Taiwan Walker actually yeah. as like the third or fourth starter. But you know, there's you know, there's Tyler Anderson from the Dodgers. He's going to be a free agent. Just don't resign him. There's a couple of Carlos Rondon. If you don't get the Degrom back. See, I don't I don't think I would go big money on the pitching if it's not DeGrom. And I wouldn't be opposed, not that I love Taiwan Walker, but you're right, as a fourth or fifth starter. Now, where's Tyler McGill slot in? Where's David Peterson slot in? Are those two, three? You know, are you gonna have, is it gonna be Scherzer, 
Peterson, McGill, Taiwan Walker, and then figure out a fifth starter? I mean, is that what we're looking at? Man, you better be the 20s of the Yankees and get them with that rotation. Yeah, well, <laughs> and you, what'd you say there, Bill, with the Yankees? No, I'm saying you better bring the 27 Yankees. Oh, lineup yeah, right. Those yeah, you know, it's exactly right. And they need to build a, a lineup. And thank you for the call, Bill. Your phone was going in and out there, so I missed that. The team has to be built better offensively to overcome a poor starting pitching performance. You saw what happened in game one of the ALDS with Verlander and the Mariners. Mariners tattooed Justin Verlander, knocked him out, beat him up. If you're the Astros or if anything, oh, no, how do they? How does this happen? The Astros, Astros are going to lose game one with Verlander on the mound? Nope, not so fast because their offense, you know, can actually hit. That's what I mean. You need to be able to be built. Now, look, Max Scherzer was awful in game one of the postseason. And that really ruined, that was the final nail in the Mets' call. And I know they won the next night with DeGrom, but once they lost that first game, they were toast. Same with Bassett. But the Mets never gave themselves a chance to get back into the game, take any of the momentum back. And that's because their lineup is not very good. So I would actually prefer to go in a next year with a rotation of Scherzer, Peterson, Tyler McGill, Taiwan Walker, and they need another one. And really, I love a number two starter, but I just don't know who that is right now and how much that's going to cost. Maybe that's a potential trade at the trade deadline, whatever. But I'd rather have that with a lineup of Aaron Judge and Alonzo and Lindor, or if not Judge, maybe that's not realistic, Trey Turner and Alonzo and Lindor. And I don't mind your idea about moving McNeil to the outfield because he proved he could play really anywhere. And then you have the ability to keep Turner in the infield. And remember, too, the DH then could be Escobar. You could have a versatile spot with the DH spot. Alvarez be up, maybe he DHs, maybe he catches a little bit. I don't think he's ready to be a defensive catcher yet at the major league level. But And Beatty as well. He looked like he could be a good bat. He might have to have an impact this year. They're going to need some production from those guys. And then the bullpen's a whole nother issue. God. Drew Smith is probably going to be the eighth inning guy next year. That's scary. Ray is calling from Chester, New York. Ray? Hey, Sal. How you doing tonight? How are you, Ray? I'm doing good, Sal. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge Mets fan. and Condolences. I'm a, I agree with you. I... I'm a I'm a big fan and and I agree we need more hitting, but I'm the Mets fan that says we got to keep Degrom. Uh, mediocre Degrom, yes, he's going to cost a lot of money, but a mediocre Degrom is better than maybe a lot of other pitchers that are going to be out there. Um, signing somebody like Rendon, I don't think he's a New York type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we we might spend that money on Rendon and he'll come here and be a bust. I don't see him being a, a guy that's going to be Rodon you're talking about. Or how do you say it, Marco? Rodon, Rodon or Rodon? Is Rodon. It, Rodon. Yeah, that's what I thought. Rodon, yeah. yeah. So, you know, some like we know that some players are fit for New York and, and not. So he, he was a quality starter for San Francisco, but I don't see him maybe being here in the, in the big right. you know, line. I'm with you. I'm not spending big on pitching unless it's DeGrom. Now, the problem is, let's say they do spend big on DeGrom. 
they've got 90 million invested in two guys who are past their prime atop the rotation. How the hell do you build the rest of the team out? I mean, Steve Cohen has his limitations. I, how are you getting better offensively? So let's just say the hypothetical, Ray, you bring back DeGrom. All right, DeGrom, Scherzer, Tyler McGill, David Peterson, maybe you bring back Walker or you figure out whoever your fifth starter is, doesn't really matter. Then what? Then what do you do with the lineup? But Sal, that's what I mean. I, I think we're as Mets fans, we we're still we're still like thinking. We understand he got limitations, but this is a guy that it's a billionaire. We should be thinking like at this point with an owner like Cohen, we should be thinking like the Yankees. If they, if they're gonna sign, just to give an example, if they're gonna sign Judge, they're gonna have Stanton making three hundred million for you know for the remainder of his career. They're gonna have to pay Judge another three hundred million. They have Cole three hundred million. So why should we have an owner that's a billionaire still thinking about? We don't have the money to pay the guys that we need. Well, but he did pay, in this case, Francisco Lindor $341 million. Max Scherzer over three years $150 million. And DeGrom is going to get something similar. So uh, I'm not sure. And their payroll is going to be the highest in baseball. So where are you saying that they're not spending a lot? Where are you getting that from? I mean, I mean they're spending. I'm, like Asal, I saw, I understand completely. They're, they're spending. But we, we, have, we do have... A limited time, even though it. it All right, so I want to hear what I want to hear what you would do. Then you want to Grom back. Let's say he comes back. I'll give you Diaz. Will be back as well. I'll even give you Nimo comes back. Let's say they bring Degrom, Nimo, Diaz back. Then what? So Sal, in your opinion, I understand, and and I and I and I'm listening to everything you're saying because we do need to get more lineup help. But in your opinion, will you bring? Even though he had a career year this year, do you think we should spend big money on Diaz? I mean, as a fan. I love what Diaz did this year. I'm not sure if he could do it again a, a second year. All right, but who are you bringing in then? You, there's no – who. I mean, then you have to find a closer, and that's a whole nother problem. I'm with you that closers mm-hmm. generally shouldn't get big contracts because they're usually – you know, it's so volatile. It, it, you know, bullpens can be fickle. Year to year, you have no idea what you're going to get. But Diaz was as consistent and as dominant as a, as a reliever as I've ever seen. I, I can't – if you don't bring him back, then what are you going to do? What is Drew Smith going to be the closer? They don't have anybody in that bullpen. And I, and and I agree, Sal. And my my last thing before I let you go, and thank you for the time. Um, if we do sign Degrom at a big contract, do you think we could still bring in, depending on how much his contract is going to be, somebody like at least Turner to come back? To I I don't know. That's well, that's kind of the question. And thanks for the call, Ray. And that's why I was asking before. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Marco, you think it's realistic? I I don't know. Remember, Met fans last year were saying the same thing, like, "Oh, well, now after they did everything else, they bring in Scherzer for 150 million for three years. Right. They go get Marte. They bring in Canna. They bring in Escobar, and what did everybody say? Okay, now go get Chris Bryant. Right. Like at some point, even the Yankees said, like the Yankees, Yankees needed the shortstop. What they do? They traded for kind of fluffy. They didn't go get Carlos Correa. Is it realistic to think the Mets can bring in or bring back Degrom? Diaz, Nimmo, and go get Trey Turner. I think if you bring back those three guys, that's your offseason. That's it. Okay, that's your entire so, offseason. Right. I hate to tell you. So then, my question is: so now they're back to less than what they were last year, but even let's just say square one. Now what? I, I hate to say it, and I, and I know we can't go backwards, but that was the reason why this trade deadline was so disappointing because you knew this window was really, really small for what they had, and they didn't go all in when they should have gone all in. Now, unfortunately, with four-fifths of the rotation, a giant question mark with the, with free agency, and who else knows what's going on, to me, this is rough. It's almost like it's a transition year, and you don't have that leeway because Scherzer's getting nothing but older. Well, that's – and I love Scherzer, 
that's the problem, though. Right. Because had they not signed Scherzer, then you could say, all right, bring back DeGrom. Right, you hit your wagon and to still DeGrom. Balance it right. out. But now you've hitched your wagon to Scherzer. You, right. I know Met fans don't want to hear it, and I don't love the idea of it either. You cannot pay two pitchers $90 bucks a year. You can't do it. Especially to one that's four right. years old and the other one that's had a ton of injury problems. You can't over do the, it. It's too much. Again, because then it doesn't allow you to round out the rest of your roster. Right. And let's be fair. As good as Nimmo was this year, and it's a player that I could see the Mets bringing back. Right. He's not that, a $30 million or $25 million player. What's it gonna, that's your offseason offensive move is Brandon Nimmo. No, you can't. They already had him. they got to get better, not that, stay the same. So that's the thing. Like You need to have more of an impact bat unless you tell me there are three minor league guys, whether it's Alvarez, as ba- all guys right. that are going to contribute right, right so now. So let's say that they do, right? Because I do believe that's going to be the case. Beatty's going to be up here assuming he could stay healthy. He's going to contribute in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a third base, whether it's a DH, whether it's both. But it's got to be an everyday situation. That's what I mean. It's got to be something where he has an, a big impact. It can't be Him just Him and that, Alvarez right, can be. They're going to have to be big bats in this lineup. But you're also, that's unknown. That's, again, that's. They, what, they, you don't know what those guys are, but they're cheap, which is which helps offset the cost of, say, DeGrom. Like, if they don't bring back DeGrom, they can go out there and get a big bat. And right? What, is that, that Yeah, but what's that bat? Is it Turner? I want it to be Judge, but if that's not realistic, then is there a difference-making bat? I would take Trey Turner. I like him. I, I think that's the problem. Judge is the difference-making bat. I just don't know if that's realistic for the Mets. So let's say it's not. They need power, right? right. I don't know if Trey Turner solves that issue. I, I feel like a lot of the Mets' problems are going to be solved on the trade market and not the free agent market. We just don't know who that is right now. And I know that's a cop-out, but it's the idea of, like, look to the teams that are bad right now. Try to figure out where you can go and see if well, you can get— Well, Otani or Trout would be the two top right. guys. I, Trout, I think, is—I uh, I think that's a pipe dream. Otani, maybe, because you're talking about a, a new regime with an ownership change. I find it hard to believe that they're going to pull the, tr- the trigger and say, Trout's done. This is enough of Trout here. I don't see it. So Otani, great. And if that's the case, of course, you shoot for the moon on that right. one. But, well, but that's I don't the know ty- if that's— I don't know if that's realistic. Isn't is there, that the type of move they need? Something like that? They need a big—they need a Z-guy type move. Because I love Alonzo. I love Lindor. I, I just—they're missing one more. I'd have to look at—is there a guy that's maybe a year or two from free agency that is turning into that guy? Whether it's—you know, I don't want to go— straight to Oakland, but like a team that's that's garbage. That's, let's be fair, a garbage team that's got a bat that could turn into a big free agent that they want to get rid of. I don't know. I feel like the Mets have to go along those lines. We didn't think of Chris Bassett last year. He was great for them in the the trade market. You've got to find somebody, because I don't know if all the problems are going to be solved free agency, because you can't spend... Whatever it is, $300 million on three guys, and right. you can't do it. You're not going to be able to sustain. Just to get back to where you were. Right. It, you can't sustain like that. You can't every year go out there and say, well, the Band-Aid is we're going to spend $320 million on this guy, and then $175 no. million. You can't do it. Right, because then you get yourself in the same predicament that they're kind of in now after right. what happened. Now, I'm not going to Scherzer move. And you're away from everything falling apart. I love the Scherzer move. I'm fine with that. I just, because of that, it kind of, to me— puts the writing on the wall with DeGrom. I just don't see how it's feasible unless they double down. The only way that it's feasible is if they say, we believe in starting pitching, we are doubling down, I'm going to give DeGrom $50 million a year for three years, we're going to battle with DeGrom, Scherzer, and we'll figure out the offense. And then you're going to go to the young kids. Beatty and Alvarez for sure. And and that's what you're going to look to do to see if you get young bats to be able to come up big in big spots. And again, maybe it's one trade for a guy that 
you know, an Escobar type, if you will, that just give you good quality right. at bats and be a professional hitter. And I don't know, Sal, you're you're a lot closer to this than I am, but have you heard the same whispers that I have? Of, obviously, we've all been talking about the Grom doesn't sound like he wants to be here. No, I've heard, yeah, I've heard more than whispers. Now I haven't heard it from him, but right. I've, yeah, but yeah. that's the big problem. Yeah. Like well, I don't know it, if it look, sounds like Degrom even wants to be that, here. That may be even better then, because as I said, I would sit with him and say, "Hey, do you want to be here or not?" And if he says, "No, not really," then I say, "All right, see you later." I mean, that's it. Then, then it's not their decision. Then they can go out there it, and it figure does. Out. It gets a little bit easier. You don't have to make that the difficult spot if of do we go with the one-two punch or do we go offense? It may not be their choice, and right. that makes it a lot easier sometimes when you don't have that choice.